At Athletic Brewing Company, our innovative process allows us to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to golden ales and more, our beers are made with organic grains and start at only 50 calories. Now you can enjoy the refreshing taste of great beer anytime, anywhere. No matter your motivation, if you want to keep a clear head and drink healthier, Athletic Beers are here for you. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. I really appreciate everyone joining us. I know it's virtual. I know this is just audio, but somehow I feel like everybody is a friend. I feel like this is a close community. And at this point, before I introduce our guest, I want to thank some of the people who've really been helping out here. A little bit of business. We have regional editors now who process your FKT submissions. I know it's better to have Peter Backwin do everything by himself. That's that's definitely how I feel. But his wife was objecting to that. So in the uh, Midwest, upper Midwest, so to speak, Michigan to North Dakota, I want to thank Nathan Broom processing FKTs in that part of the country. In the southeast part, from Florida up to West Virginia, Jack Kunzley. Thank you, Jack. In the uh, New England area, we have Ryan Williams. Thanks, Ryan. In the Northwest, Alex Bond. He volunteered a couple months ago. He's been processing your FKT submissions. This is not in any order, by the way, in case you're wondering. And overseas in the UK, and this is you know England, Ireland, etc. We have Mike Jones working on it. In the Mid-Atlantic states, Charlotte Winkler. Thank you, Charlotte. This is New York, District of Columbia, Maryland, and so forth. Overseas again in the uh, Western Europe, from Germany down to Switzerland. From Sweden, Stefan Bergsten. Thanks, Stefan. You are our first regional editor. And thank you for being multilingual, unlike us uh, over here. And then um, out west, we have J.P. Frank, California to Hawaii. That's a good territory. And lastly, Canada, the Great White North, Miles Kenyon Slaney. Thank you very much, Miles. And thank you, everyone, for volunteering to help make all this happen. I very much appreciate that. Our guest today is an insider. We have an inside scoop here. And I'm speaking with Zoe Rome, who is the associate editor of Trail Runner Magazine. Welcome, Zoe. Hi, Buzz. Great to be here. Well, indeed. Now, you've got a few FKTs here, um, one of whom is, one of which I should say is Capital Peak, uh, which is a technical summit. That's a 14er outside of Aspen which is, I think, near where you live. You probably live in Bonedale, don't you, in Carbondale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm down in uh, Carbondale, and uh, Capital just happened to be the nearest 14er to, to my house. <laughs> it is. Now, did you do the knife edge on Capital? I did, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's kind of the only way to do it, which is, I think, you know, one of the things that Capital is famous for is being a dangerous peak, but the majority of people that actually get hurt or die on it die from avoiding knife edge rather than just going for it. 
because um, there is a, a thing that looks like an escape gully near it, which is actually called the death gully. So if you just <laughs> knife edge and avoid the death gully, it, it's, uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not bad if you can handle exposure pretty well. So, so people apparently did not read the route description very carefully yeah. if they chose the death gully. Exactly. Yeah. Always okay, this, is, this is good, Zoe. So you have your choice of the knife edge or the death gully. It's. I think it's like one of those things, like if you were looking at, so what usually happens with people is they take the knife edge going towards the summit and then on the way down, you know, maybe they think they can go around the knife edge because there is a gully that almost looks like it like subverts the knife edge, but it, it, it in fact does not. And essentially just leads you down a scree field towards an Alpine Lake in a, in just too, too quickly. <laughs> Somewhere you don't want to go. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good for you for safely returning. And I should note that the West Elks are famous for being rotten. I mean, it's oh. this, Permian era, yeah, it's yeah. it's choss piles, but not capital. The knife edge is actually very safe, I think, unless you get hit by lightning, because that's pretty solid granite. And in fact, the north face of capital is a pretty good rock climb. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things I like. I have a lower, I have a higher tolerance for exposure than I do for choss. Like for me, as long as the thing I'm on isn't moving, I feel pretty good about it. But like you know, the Maroon Bells or like Pyramid Peak nearby, those are just like kind of like those are almost, those wig me out more just because stuff like is always moving around under you. Like for me, if I have good hand and footholds, like I'm good to go. But, you know, I don't love it when you like grab something and it just peels off the rock. It, you described it well. Or someone else dislodges something that's 100 feet above you. You yeah. might not make any mistake at all. But uh, if the person 500 feet above you made a mistake, you could be killed. Yeah, exactly. Which is something, you know, trying to move quickly through that terrain, I was really cognizant of and like trying to find a route that was respectful of the other people doing the route that day. And, you know, wouldn't put other people at risk when I was kind of hustling through and also wouldn't put myself like the goal for me was to minimize the amount of time I spent in the more consequential terrain. Because I mean, closer to the summit, it does get a little bit looser. Um, it's not nearly as bad as Pyramid or the Maroon Bells. But you know, just trying to keep the amount of time I spent in that terrain where stuff is loose and falling down on you to to a minimum and move quickly and efficiently through that terrain without taking unnecessary risks. Zoe, you described that extremely well. Do you have now? Actually, we're going to segue here. This is a great segue. I was going to say, do you have a background in climbing? Because come to think of it, you're the associate editor of Trail Running Magazine, which is also the sister publication of Rock and Ice Magazine. So right in your office, I believe, are a bunch of climbers. Yeah, actually, um, funny story. When I actually first started like wanting to be an outdoor journalist in graduate school, I started writing for Rock and Ice because I was not only trying to be a writer, but I also was really trying hard to be a climber. <laughs> um, and I got really into alpine climbing and I just became obsessed with like trying to profile the people I met out in the alpine. I was never really great at like technical rock, but I really love like chimney climbing and I love scrambles and I love like easy alpine days where you're doing like multiple pitches with gear, but not necessarily like, you know, not climbing Long's Peak or the front of Capitol. <laughs> um, 
And I feel like capital is kind of a fun way, like the, you know, the knife's ridge is like a fun way to kind of bridge my love for mountaineering and running because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's class four. Um, But you have to run into the base. Exactly. So it's like a 10 K and then, you know, then a scramble and then a 10 K. I was kind of thinking of it like a biathlon. Like I wanted to go really hard until I hit terrain where I, where my effort would be limited by the terrain get my heart rate down, execute that terrain, and then <laughs> race a 10K back to the car. Ah, that's a good way to look at it. And it, like you said, it's out your back door, but you can't see it. Uh, generally speaking, you can't see it. Capital is kind of hard to see. Yeah, from not, from, not from Carbondale, but I do love like whenever I'm like driving, there's a few other trailheads or like when I'm on the highway going towards Aspen for a run or something, I love looking up at the top of it because it's such a cool looking mountain. I'm like, ah, I've been up there. Well, good work. And people, I always remind people, they can go on to the website and under roots, pull it down and type in capital. It'll come up or type in Zoe Rome and see what else you've done. Read your trip report. Nice photo of the knife edge on Capitol Peak. And well, thank you, Zoe. That was well said. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you had that background in alpinism. And now you're still there at Trail Running Magazine. And I think it's okay to say this, the after, what, 20, 30? No, I can't remember. I should have looked this up. Like 30 years, it has been sold. The yeah. package of magazines has been sold to a new owner after Dwayne Raleigh owned it forever, I think. Forever, not really, but seems forever. Like forever. <laughs> <laughs> so what does this look like? I mean, that's a very general question, but yeah. journalism, right? Journalism is kind of tough. You're a professional journalist. You have an inside scoop on what the publishing industry looks like. What do you think? It's a super tough industry to be in right now. I mean, it's no secret that the economy hasn't been doing amazing. And while the outdoor industry hasn't been as affected as some others, um, you know, it still felt the impacts. And so, you know, we saw like Backpacker was acquired by our new um, our new publisher, out, uh, Pocket Outdoor Media, this this spring. I used to work at Backpacker back in graduate school as well. And now we've been acquired by them. Um, and it's, you know, it's a tough time to be an independent publisher. Um, you know, our, I guess like I would just urge people that if you, if there's a publication or a website, like if you like, you know, if you like fastest known time, you should absolutely become a supporter of them financially. Like it's not enough to just enjoy the things you enjoy. I think it's really important now for us to be mindful consumers and to pay attention to the things that we love and figure out how we can support them. Sometimes it's just by like getting the word out on social media and saying like, Hey, I read this really awesome thing or like check out this website. Um, but you know, even for just like the cost of a cup of coffee a month, um, I feel like my background in public radio is coming out as I'm trying to make like this into a pledge drive, but there's so many great places out there that are doing really cool independent journalism or, you know, not, if not independent people that are doing really great work. So if there's a newsletter that you really enjoy a podcast that you listen to, make sure that you're supporting the creators that bring meaning into your life. Um, I think that's a big thing that we've learned from this pandemic and that I've learned, you know, as a consumer, like, 
I love following fastest known times. Like that is a huge thing for me, both as a journalist, like professionally, I benefit from the work that this website does. And personally, (laughs) as someone that really loves chasing FKTs, there's a lot to it too. So I would just say, pay attention to the things that you value and figure out how you can give back to them. Um, you know, in publishing, that could mean subscribing to a magazine. Maybe buy someone else a gift subscription if you already um, if you already subscribe. It doesn't even have to be Trail Runner, but just put you know put your money on the things that you value so that they can keep going. Because I think a thing that we've learned from the pandemic, like when we've seen you know things like Powder Magazine go under, these are things that bring immense value to our community. And if the community doesn't step up to support them, they will just vanish. Wow, Zoe, you're hired. <laughs> yeah, I used to, you know, from my time at NPR, I was pretty good at the pledge drive thing. So that one's for free. What <laughs> you were in? I mean, I'm I'm stunned, and I agree completely. And I was actually taking notes as you re- wrote those, uh, said those things. That was that was spot on. I asked you this open ended question, and you just knocked it out of the park. Uh, you spoke in a series of brilliant one liners, which are true. And I think, I think it had the ring of truth for many people who are listening in that. Yeah. There's a really divisive times right now. Politically, it's quite irritating. Economically, it's difficult due to the worldwide pandemic. And so you have to put your money worth you value. Otherwise it's going to go away and what's going to be left there. Um, just to expound on that from my personal perspective, we have, the time of an oligarchy right now, and except they're us. It used to be Standard Oil, Union Pacific Railroad, you know, the Rockefellers, the DuPonts, et cetera. And then populism kind of took them down and opened it up for more free and competitive enterprise. But now we have Facebook, Apple, Amazon, right? So the oligarchy is alive and well. And so if you value Trail Runner Magazine, Fastest Known Time, they need support. If you don't direct a little bit of your money there, then they're going to go away and it'll be left with just the big boys. Yeah. And like also just, you know, being able to support people who are doing things that are different. Like once again, fastest known time. I'm also a huge fan of I Run Far and the Fast Women newsletter. And these are people doing really amazing like niche journalism in the endurance sports world. And it means the world to me that there are just people that are running their own businesses and writing incredible things and following things closer than I would be able to follow as a journalist. And I think it's just important to figure out what, like what brings you joy in life and then enable those people to do that, you know, and if financially, you know, giving doesn't feel appropriate or is hard for you, you can always bring more people into the fold by being like, Hey, I love this newsletter about ultra running. You should totally subscribe or like sharing other journalists work on Twitter. Like there are other ways you know, kind of in the attention economy to help, to help people, you know, get, instead of like thinking about, you know, cutting up the pie into increasingly smaller pieces, like grow the pie, bring more people into, into the outdoor sports world, like encourage more people to get involved setting fastest known times and, you know, becoming readers and consumers of the website and getting out and doing cool things. Right. I often used to say that about uh, your independent retailer, because it's sort of the same thing, isn't it? And we have the independent publishers, which we're talking about right now, but also there's the independent retailer. And that I thought was triggered when you said bringing more people into the sport. Look at running shops. They organize local fun runs. They organize local races. They support the community. People come in for a fit. People come in for advice. They can get on a treadmill and do a gait analysis sort of for free. 
but that doesn't happen on Amazon. None of that happens. They just take what has been set up for them. So if you support your local retailer, you're growing the sport. And likewise, if you support independent publishing, you're growing this community of communication and, and information and inspiration. Yeah, exactly. So NPR, what'd you do at NPR? I was um, a morning edition host and I reported on the ski industry in Aspen. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Is this yeah. going to be in your bio? Now, there's on their written show notes, there's always a bio for everyone. And uh, you haven't submitted yours yet, so I haven't read it yet. But the listeners can look at Zoe Rome's bio uh, when this podcast is released, which we do every Friday at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. So you can read all more about Zoe. So you were a morning edition host. That's like monster credibility, isn't it? You know, in so in my in my market, the Roaring Fork Valley, definitely. Like anytime I would go somewhere and order a coffee, people would be like, "I think I know your name and voice," <laughs> um, and I love it. Like I am a huge once again, I'm a huge fan of community journalism. One of the things I love about public radio is that it's listener funded, so you can really trust it. You know where your money is going, and it just you know it it pays for the content that you love and that is important for you. And local journalism is more important than ever. And I've always been a fan of audio. Um, you know, I got a master's degree in environmental journalism from CU and working in Aspen felt like a really great way to, you know, drill down into a small community and report on things that I was passionate about, like the outdoor industry, but to do it for a community that shared my values, like living in Colorado, um, the community is hugely engaged around outdoor recreation and the potential it has to, you know, impact things like climate justice and hugely engaged on how we can be more mindful around sustainability in the outdoor industry. Um, and, you know, just following like the, the ski industry is such an interesting window into, into both, you know, the economy in Colorado, the, um, you know, the tourist economy and into essentially, you know, into, into, kind of some smaller scale impacts of climate change. Um, you know, I reported a lot on water usage for snowmaking. I reported on um, one of my bigger pieces for NPR was on the fact that avalanche incidences are increasing. So ski companies are investing in additional avalanche forecasting capabilities and avalanche prevention, just because as the climate becomes less stable, we're seeing an increase in avalanches um, just because you know, that <laughs> you're seeing just less stable snow layers as a result of that. And so you see these like really tangible impacts of climate change, like on the hill that you ski on. And I just loved reporting there. But ultimately, my passion was kind of in more entrepreneurial journalism and long form storytelling. So I moved away from Aspen Public Radio to go work in Carbondale to concept and develop my own podcast. Wow. And it I have a suggestion for you. Yeah. You could take over this podcast from me. <laughs> hey, if you need a producer, I'm always, you know, I'm, I love looking at waveform. <laughs> I think you're more qualified than I am. I, what are my qualifications? Anyway, my qualifications, I think are only one. I haven't died yet. <laughs> that gets you pretty far in this industry though. I'd say. <laughs> right. But that's brilliant, Zoe. That's remarkable. Aspen Public Radio, now you went down Valley. You mentioned how climate change is affecting the ski industry. And of course, 
we are wow, we have a lot to put in our written show notes. So make sure you include these links. We'll do. Uh, so we can put that in there. And of course, one of them is POW, Protect Our Winters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, we do. We work closely with them at Trail Runner. And I'm just personally a huge fan of the work they do because I feel that one of the most um, easy to engage communities in the climate action space is the outdoor industry because you are able to firsthand experience the impacts, right? And I think that for me, like the big step is moving people from being like, oh, how do I protect my winters, you know, for my own self-interest, like to preserve a better ski season, you know, look at like large scale, like how this affects avalanche cycles, things like that, and move towards a place of like, oh, not only does this affect me and my ski season or my ice climbing, like in Carbondale, there are there are ice, like there are ice climbs that just don't exist anymore that like Dwayne will always talk about and are just gone, right? Like when you talk to the older ice climbers in town, they're like, oh, you know, this climb used to be awesome, but we haven't seen it in years. Um, so there's all these anecdotal things. And then we also obviously have an overwhelming amount of data about where things are going. And disproportionately, you know, even though this affects us in the outdoor industry, it primarily impacts minority communities and minor, you know, people around the world who have less privilege than people in the outdoor industry. So for me, it's like, how do we move people t- from an understanding of like, oh, yeah, this affects ice climbing to like, oh, my gosh, this totally uproots people's lives all over the world and in our own country. Right. Excellent point. Because we, of course, can just move. I mean, we don't actually have to ice climb. The north face of the Iger, the Igervand, uh, of course, is very, very difficult to do for the past uh, five years because the frozen blocks are no longer frozen in place. And so the rock falls just absurd up there. And But for us, you know, it's recreation. We can just leave. We can do whatever we want. But if you live two feet above sea level, boy, you are in deep trouble. Totally. And I think that, you know, like the outdoor industry is full of really resourceful and passionate people who just have boundless capability for empathy. And if we can activate these people around the idea that like, okay, I understand how this affects me. And I understand that it will have outsized effect on other people like, oh, my gosh, we can totally mobilize for some more meaningful action, both like politically and in terms of like, you know, and like large scale solutions, like political action, and then like small, meaningful ways, like how does how I recreate outside, like, you know, how does my race travel? How do my living habits, how do, you know, my like small scale things, how does that impact, you know, both the sports that I love? And I don't want to diminish, like that love is like super real, right? Like, you know, the fact that the ice climbing scape, like in my neighborhood is changing is like, that's a super real impact that's very deeply felt by people. And if we can tap into that empathy, then I think we just have, you know, unimaginable amounts of like untapped potential in our community. And that's like the kind of storytelling that I always try to tap into is right. Like the amount that you love this sport, the amount that you love skiing or ice climbing or trail running, like harness that for some real tangible action. Wow. That's brilliant, Zoe. So you're just indeed taking that initial immediate impact on our private passions and saying, yeah, now let's leverage that and blow it up to people who can't just go somewhere else and do something else. They're getting impacted, but it's their lives. It's their livelihood. It's their homes. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, in fires, look at fires. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've actually, I've been on the front range of Colorado this weekend and you know, like 
every run I've been on has been impacted by climate change this weekend, right? Like we have definitive evidence that the instability in our climate is leading to a higher incidence in fires and particularly in larger fires. So when you're literally breathing in particulate matter, matter of the consequences of climate change, it's very hard to forget how closely what we do is tied to the implications of what we don't do. Right. Now, the California fires were just you know, the, the biggest in history. Actually, I think by August 10th, they had broken their acreage burn record for the entire year, and they're still burning right now. And I'm in Michigan right now, pardon me, but I did as I said. I moved. I didn't move permanently, but I've been in Michigan now for three and a half months, and we had a few orange sunsets from Oregon. So it does affect everyone. You can't leave entirely. But my hometown, of course, is Boulder. It still is. And two fires have broken out just in the last two days. And one of them went from zero to 8,000 acres in one afternoon, and they closed US 36. So if you live in Boulder or Denver, you can't even drive to Rocky Mountain National Park uh, unless you took an extremely roundabout route. Because and of course people had to evacuate their homes, mm-hmm. so it's it's like you said, Zoe. It's a good point. It's real. It's happening right now. I should note we are recording this on October nineteenth on a Monday. In case you're wondering, because by the time this is released on October twenty third, it could be could be different. Something yes. could have changed. I mean, who knows? I mean, just in the span of four days, everything we're saying right now could have changed. So I wanted to give those dates just for perspective. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have. (laughs) And the other perspective is, guess what? It's election season, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think we, it's easy to complain. It's easy to point the finger. It's always easy to say, oh, it's that someone else over there is screwing up. But I think every election season, it's time to say, okay, it's me, right? That's, America invented this. It's an unbelievable invention when you really think about it, which is we are a democracy. We vote. And in spite of weirdness, you might have heard, your vote matters. It counts. It's a fair election. And so everyone absolutely should get out and vote for what they believe in. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, I mean, something that for me kind of blew my mind as I was doing some just kind of digging around, um, you know, kind of looking at like how large different sectors of the uh, mineral extraction industry are. And I found out, I I run the social media accounts for Trail Runner Magazine that I personally have more followers on Instagram on the Trail Runner account. And there are people who are currently employed by the coal industry. And that just made me feel like, oh my God, like if we can activate trail runners to vote by their values of preserving public land access, clean air for everyone, climate justice, climate action, like that's incredible, right? Like (laughs) I have this incredible platform to like help engage people around topics that we're already thinking and talking about a lot. um, And that this is a huge community, right? And it's, you know, even though sometimes it can feel like, yes, the trail running community is as large as Boulder County, but you know, the truth is like we have people in absolutely every county in the U.S. probably, right? Like there are so many trail runners all over the place. And if we can bring that community together around the values that we collectively believe in, we can enact incredible change. So uh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm a little flabbergasted here. You should be an executive at NPR in Washington. I, you are knowledgeable, well-spoken, uh, 
So what's uh so what are you doing this type of work as associate editor at Trail Running Magazine? You know, I I think if, if you weren't paying very close attention or if you didn't ask me specifically, um, you might not be aware. But like, essentially, my my graduate degree in environmental journalism was like, how do we use storytelling techniques to connect people to really large, scary ideas? Um, I called it like in academia, they're known as hyper objects, like climate change, like large systems, things that you can't like hold in your hand and are very hard to relate to in a human time scale, right? But like, I think outdoor recreation is the absolute best storytelling method to connect people to those big, scary ideas. Because if an ice climb that you grew up climbing no longer exists, you, like, that's a new level of understanding, right? If you try to go on a run and you can't because there are two different fires burning in your backyard, that's a new level of understanding. Um, if you want to go skiing, but there is a 400-year avalanche cycle that's directly tied to, you know, increased moisture in the air due to climate change, like that's a new level of understanding, right? So like, I think sport does a thing through storytelling that I'm just trying to do through my writing or through my podcasting that's like, oh, I feel these impacts like very acutely. And then I can take acute action towards this kind of like chronic issue. Um, so how do we bring climate change down to the human level? I think running is a great way to do it. I think skiing is a great way to do it. Climbing is a great way to do it. Like it's this thing where you literally connect with the impacts of what's happening, you know, out in the atmosphere, which when I live my life on a day-to-day -day basis, I rarely go around thinking like, I feel very connected to the atmosphere. <laughs> um, except for when I'm out running and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can literally tell that the air quality is so diminished that I can't participate in my sport the way I want to. Um, and I just feel like we have so much potential in this, you know, in this community to like increase everyone's understanding and awareness of these large scale things that are happening all around us that are easy to forget about when you're just kind of living life on a day to day basis or you're consuming news in a way that makes it challenging to connect the dots. Like when you, you know, when you want to go out for a run, but there's two different fires burning in your town, like that makes it super real. It is real. Well, Zoe, switching gears a tad, we've touched on a few things that people can do. One, of course, is you bloody better vote in this election. But, but what else? You mentioned social media being remarkably, and that was an amazing factoid you had there. You have more followers on Twitter, Twitter than the coal industry has employees. So you, we could have some sort of an effect. What, yeah. what else are you thinking in terms of people are listening to this right now? They're going, wow, Zoe, she's super articulate. I believe what she's saying. I agree. What do we do? Um, I think we a lot of times can misunderstand the impact we have on people in our immediate circles. I think op like opening up a place like with your running partners or climbing partners to have dialogue about the things that matter to you and to ask your friends what matters to them and to figure out how you can be a part of the solution and mobilize your community for the changes that you want to see. I'm super passionate about a lot of down ballot issues, particularly living on the Western Slope in Colorado and Carbondale where issues of you know, water rights issues are super huge. And like, there are people on the ballot who are going to have a direct impact on that, right? Like, while it's very sexy to consider like, who's running for office at the top of the ticket, like your down ballot in local elections are so stinking important. Um, I mean, like even, <laughs> it's just in Colorado, like depending on like who your 
district representative is like those are the people who can help like decide who gets mineral leases on the public lands in your backyard which is important for preserving your backyard but also you know the mineral extraction that happens in your zip code affects people in zip codes very very far away so if you take action to like preserve your backyard you're preserving air for people all over and that's super super meaningful action um and i think just like you know even using your own personal social media to like open up conversations or to share the platform of candidates that you're passionate about and saying like, Hey, you know, a lot of times, like, especially in the national media, the, the people at the top of the ticket take up a lot of oxygen in the conversation. Like let's have dialogue around like who's running for, you know, County commissioner. Those people are hugely powerful. They can impact your daily life and the daily, like the daily life of people all over the place, right? Like if you're, you know, if you're going to have, mineral extraction in your backyard, county commissioners play a role in deciding how that goes. Your vote on those people impacts the clean air quality of people all over the U.S. And that is super meaningful action. Think globally, act locally. Exactly. Okay. All right. And, and Colorado, then- Colorado is the killing floor when it comes to that. I, appreci- I used to live in the western slope of Colorado also. And it's quite true. Uh, the, the local county commissioners who people maybe have never heard of are making serious decisions about what happens. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's huge, you know, like stay informed on what's happening in your, in your backyard and talk about it with people in your community. Like that's where the real action happens. I think, you know, we've all been in a place recently where like it can be hard and you can be frustrated about like how parts of the national conversation are going, but I feel like there's so much potential for, for growth and collective action around what's happening on a much smaller scale. And like, a lot of times we underestimate how big the ripple effects of those small scale local actions can be just because it's, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to just like read the front page of the newspaper and be like, all right, this is what's happening in the world. But you know, the the decisions being made at your own city council are hugely impactful. Right. Well, Zoe, this is amazing. You're extremely well-versed on this topic and thank you for the tips and what to do. I like the idea of let's talk about it. Let's, let's be willing to share our real feelings. I think, that going out for a run, a climb or whatever, in a way you can leave this behind as one of the joys of it in a politically divisive culture right now, but you don't want to leave it entirely behind. I think it's fair to share who you really are. It's not a matter of telling someone else what to do at all. It's a matter of sharing what you believe and they can do whatever they want with it, but to keep the conversation going, I think is a good recommendation. Yeah. And I feel like starting from that like place of mutual respect and love and understanding of like, hey, here we are, like, you know, out running together. Like clearly we share a lot of the same values and it's totally okay. And I respect and love you if you you approach this topic from a different angle. But I feel that it's really important that we, you know, hear each other out either way. Um, and just like understanding that, you know, you're out there running together, you're out there climbing together. I think we all want cleaner air. <laughs> um, I think we all want to um, engage in meaningful climate action and just having honest conversations about different approaches is, is, is hugely impactful. Wow. I agree completely. So flipping this back over to uh, your, your current position and the inside lookout, what do you see with trail running, you're an associate editor at the magazine called Trail Runner, which was just sold to a, a larger company. Probably a good thing, I think. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, you know, 
I still have a job, which is amazing. Um, and it, you know, gives us more capability to reach more people and bring more people into the trail running fold, which I think is at the end of the day, most meaningful to me. Good. Now I get asked this question all the time. In fact, there's been two stories on NPR on fastest known time, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Men's journal, outside magazine, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm going to flip the question. This is kind of fun. I'm looking forward to this. I'm asked all the time, how has the pandemic affected FKTs? Obviously, they bumped it up five times year over year. But I'm going to flip the question over you. How has the pandemic affected trail running from your perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, the most obvious answer again is like, oh, we've seen this huge uptick in FKTs um, and, you know, less races personally, as both like a fan of the sport and as a journalist tracking the sport, it's been really, you know, I, I really, you know, sad to not be able to follow Western States. I was going to race Leadville and that was canceled and that's sad. I was supposed to go cover UTMB and that didn't happen. So that's unfortunate. Um, obviously health and safety of everyone is the priority. So, you know, it's small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but it's been super cool to watch people go do stuff that is like, that was not on my radar previously and was unimaginable and that you can just like track for days. Like, you know, I, I've written articles about UTMB being the Super Bowl of ultra running, but like, man, I got so excited when Courtney went for her CT FKT. Like I loved following Corey Waltering when he went for his ice age trail FKT and being able to just follow people for days felt like such a cure. Like it felt like incredible medicine in a time where, you know, a lot of the news was not necessarily thrilling to read. And then you can just like check in on people's spot trackers. And you're like, man, even though it feels like the world is spinning in weird directions recently, like Courtney's still giving this her best, you know, um, like Candace is out there doing cool stuff on the Tahoe rim trail. Like you just get to follow your heroes doing cool stuff. And that's amazing. Like, you know, I think trail running can sometimes be a weird spectator sport. Um, but like, I've gotten to follow so many people doing Nolan's 14 just by like, you know, opening a browser window and watching their little spot tracker flash every few minutes. I love that. Like, it's definitely, you know, it's not quite the same as like tailgating a football game, but man, it's exciting. Right. Like, and I, you know, at the end of the summer, I got to watch so many people do Nolan's that I started like finding myself having totally un unwarranted opinions on like how they should do that. I'm like, what you're going up Princeton that way. Like, what are you think? Like, come on. Wow. You, you are following it. Wonderful Zoe. So of course we're talking about Sabrina Stanley and Megan Hicks who oh. went, you know, one, two, <laughs> then repeated one, two they're, they're they're Megan. Of course you mentioned, I run far earlier. She's the, uh, co-founder and editor of irunfar.com and she, she's made Nolan's 14 her thing and uh, she and Sabrina's traded back and forth and turns out you're following their trackers you're looking at it you say what don't go down that gully go down the other gully yeah I think I mean and you know just to kind of get to like another thing I'm hugely passionate about is women's participation in the sport and there's nothing better for the sport than women encouraging each other and pushing each other to be their best and seeing them do that on a route like Nolan's, which historically has been dominated by male performance and attention giving given to, you know, by media to men doing this. Um, I say that as a member of the media who has incidentally bought into this in a lot of different ways. I tried to give a lot more conversation, oxygen and weight to the amazing women's performances happening this year, because like, 
there is nothing better <laughs> for the sport than women just driving each other to like do amazing things and watching, you know, Megan and Sabrina, like, just like Nick, you know, like large chunks of time off their FKT was just like the most fulfilling thing <laughs> as a fan of the sport. Um, and sometimes it's almost hard to take off my fan hat and put on my journalist hat. Cause like I would, you know, be tracking them for a story or because like I have a freelancer working on a story and I want to make sure I'm able to like support them and give adequate fact checks and editorial guidance. But like, you know, when you're watching, people do this amazing thing over the course of like hours and hours and hours. It's just so easy to get caught up in the, like, this is incredible <laughs> part of it. Right. And like, you know, when Courtney got pulled off the CT, like I felt that very acutely. Cause like, it's so amazing to watch women like swing really, really big in this sport and go after, like, she didn't, she wasn't going after the women's time. She was going after the time. And that is so amazing. And I think FKTs hold a really cool, interesting place where you start to see women like compete with and against men in different ways and compete with and against each other in really amazing, positive ways. And I feel like that's been one of my biggest takeaways from the pandemic is like, how can we as a community of female trail runners inspire and push each other to do cool and amazing things and to keep like knocking chunks of time off these ambitious, huge routes um, and to find competition and community outside of racing. And I think that something that people misunderstand about competition, particularly female competition, is that like the more we push each other, like the better it is for everyone. And the more we lift each other up, once again, the bigger we grow that pie of like attention and recognition for females in this, in this sport. Yikes. Soy. My gosh. You're the, the speech. Uh, we're at the awards banquet. You're going to be the MC, and I'm going to try to hire you away from Trail Runner Magazine. Of course, we don't pay anything. Peter, Jeff, and I are all volunteers, so this could be difficult. But if you'd ever like to work for free, we want you. How's that? Hey, if you'll let me talk about female participation and/or climate action, I'm you know I'm there. Okay, good. Well, you're going we're, we're going to stay in we are going to stay in touch with you Zoe. I hope and we want to integrate you into fastsnowtime.com any way we can because you just provided a, a couple of lead-ins there. Of course, we did have a podcast with Courtney DeWalter. When was that? 6 weeks ago. I'll put that in the show notes, put that link in. And you were just talking about Megan and Sabrina on Nolan's 14, and I am having my next podcast conversation with Megan Hicks this Thursday in two days, indeed. And so after you on the uh, 23rd, the next person on the podcast, unless um, you know Barack Obama wants to be on it, will be uh, Megan Hicks. So she should be on it uh, well, following you. Barack Obama of elite women absolutely crushing it in journalism, life, and at FKTs. I look up to her so much just in terms of her approach to covering women in the sport. She's been someone I'm, you know, I can reach out to and who has reached out to me on how I can provide better coverage um, for women. And I feel like, you know, her holding me and holding Trail Runner to account is the best thing for this industry. Thank you, Megan. You're my hero. If you're <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, your, your segues here are stunning. And uh, note to listeners, disclaimer, Zoe and I didn't pre-plan this at all. So this is uh, coming impromptu. Thank you very much. And I always ask, it's kind of a little tradition here, what is next? Uh, you're quite energetic and articulate, so you can take that anywhere you want. But oftentimes this means what's next for you as an FKT. It, but what's next can mean anything. 
So that is your question. Our last question, Zoe, what's next? Yeah, I would like to set another FKT. I have a couple that I'm kind of looking at. None of them are like particularly big or flashy or, com- or impressive considering the other guests you've had on this podcast, but I just, and I feel like that's okay. Um, you know, I have set two fairly different FKTs, Capitol Peak and the Buffalo River Trail. I would like to try one that's maybe faster and shorter than those. Um, and then, you know, professionally, I'm, you know, I'm working on the DNF podcast and I'm just, you know, stoked always to talk about women in climate change and things like that. And I'm hoping to, uh, you know, maybe launch a podcast in that, in that kind of realm at some point and kind of concepting that out and figuring out how to leverage um, my knowledge of the outdoor industry to engage more people in topics around climate action. So, you know, small FKTs, big podcast dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, this time of year and where you live in Western Colorado, FKTs, hmm, you might have to travel a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. They're kind of, you know, I'm not a big fan of running on snow. Um, <laughs> we're kind of getting, yeah, where it's kind of our, our FKT season locally is shutting down. So, you know, it's kind of a good season to like reset and look around and like force myself to be creative in both training and goal setting. And as you are well aware, this is called shoulder season in the ski industry. You live in a ski area and that means everybody goes to Moab. So <laughs> isn't that right? I mean, the, the entire Roaring Fork Valley empties out right about now and everyone goes to Utah. I know, like, just like they do in April. So October and April, everyone you meet out in the Utah desert is from Aspen or Telluride or Crested Butte. Yep. Hope to see everyone there. <laughs> in the creek, let me know. Okay. All right. We look forward to staying in touch with you, Zoe. And I, I very much appreciate your perspective. Yeah. Thanks so much for such thought provoking questions that really, you know, makes the, makes the interview eloquence is nothing without, you know, a good, a good starting point. And I will add on piggyback, I should say, that if people want to donate to Fast Snow Time, as Zoe indicated, please do it. Because she is completely right. We have a few sponsors, not many, but there's no corporate foundation happening here. It is people like you who make it happen. And truthfully speaking, Peter Backwin, Jeff Schuler, and I have never taken a dime out of it. We want to reinvest it so we can provide more features to the participants. So donations are greatly appreciated. And you can see how to do that on the website. And I'll put links to it in the show notes. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. 